Welcome to the Kaiser Education Series. My name is Gabe Derman, and I'm a human performance and education specialist at Kaiser. I'll be moderating today's panel alongside my teammate, Mike Compton. Today's discussion is focused on the topic of longevity and physical performance in the aging adult population. We're excited about this topic because discussions surrounding active aging and functional independence are few and far between, yet they highlight a crucial aspect of life. Our first panelist is Pat Van Galen. Pat is the owner of Active and Agile, maximizing mobility throughout the ages, located in Big Sky, Montana. She has over 45 years of experience in the fitness profession across several disciplines, organizations, and generations. She's a passionate coach, speaker, and educator, dedicating the last 25 years to the way and the pace at which we age. Our second panelist is Paul Holbrook. In 2005, Paul founded Age Performance, where he continues to develop comprehensive training programs to improve the physical function and human performance of adults over 40. Paul is on the advisory board of the Huntsman World Senior Games and the Functional Aging Institute, frequently giving seminars about physical performance at fitness centers and senior housing developments, and he consults internationally. He also competed in the senior games, meddling in the 50 meter, 100 meter, 200 meter, and the 400 meter event. Nice work, Paul. Welcome, Paul and Pat. Thank you for joining us today. And Paul, I have to ask you, I saw a tidbit that you are a Zen practitioner as well. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> well, I was married into it. <laughs> so oh, my, my wife uh, is actually a, a uh, uh, sensei in the in, in the practice and and uh so i like i said i've been married into it but but um it's been i've been actually a practice practitioner for 25 years um on my own journey with it and um um, um it just it's an important part of my life and it's just a great way for me to navigate the struggles and the tribulations of of life but you know it, you know when you're talking about longevity i mean one of my zen teachers said you know there, there's sorry i don't mean to go off on a tangent but, but there's so much information out there about health right um and we get bombarded with self-help books and this and that and all kinds of books about exercise and everything and this zen master said you know it's pretty simple with longevity when we're talking about aging or aging well is it's it's three to four simple things right they're hard to do but it's simple, exercise, meditate, nutrition, and sleep. And you got it covered. You know, you don't, you don't have to get sidetracked on all these, all this information that comes our way. If you just focus on those, again, hard to do, but that's it. Anyway, so anyway, that's, that's, that's it. No, Thank that's you for awesome. that. Of course, yeah. And Pat, can you show off a little bit of your backdrop over there? Do you mind? Okay. Hey. Awesome here. Never mind. Look at that. I'll Incredible. See. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, and I hear you are getting ready to speak at the Mike Boyle Strength Conditioning Seminar this April. What will you be speaking on there? Pretty much this topic. Uh, what are the chances? It's called, uh, <laughs> it's called the Aging Accelerance Counter and Buffer. So it's right. basically what... Paul's talking about it's simple, but it's not easy. And uh, yeah, it goes back to your the rhythms of your day, the rhythms of your week, the rhythms of your seasons, and the rhythms of your years and decades. It's habits, 
patterns and practices. No magic bullets, no quick fixes. Everybody wants the, you know, the Band-Aid solution for the big issue. And that's not how it works. It's the, it's the daily rhythms. And, you know, you look at the, we talked a little bit, Gabe, about the, the blue zones. Those people live a very simple life, but they live a very, they have the most centenarians of any, uh, you know, populations around the world. And they don't exercise, but they live a very purposeful life and they live long and they live really well. So. That's All right, well, obviously, obviously, we got a lot of energy for this episode, so we're excited to get into it, and let's do that. You both dedicated a large part of your lives to performance training, especially in the longevity population. Why is performance training so important for the aging adult population? And Pat, I'm going to start with you, and then we'll go to Paul right after. Okay. I think the one thing people might get a little bit uh, confused on is the word performance. And what I look at is the rhythms of our days and weeks and months. But when we look at training, which is one rock in the movement pillar, we it, it's almost non-negotiable in this day and age, unless you're working the mountain as a ski patroller every day. So most people, it's screens and basically it's, it's just, um, I look at it as training is non-negotiable for health and function, non-negotiable. Now, if you wanna layer on higher levels of fitness because you want to, not necessarily for health reasons, great, go for it. But then we get to performance and performance where? What are you doing in your leisure time? Are you gonna compete at something? Are you gonna be four seasons, go outdoors, downhill, cross country, mountain bike, paddle, you name it, do it. Um, maybe you're going to compete in a relay or I'm gonna, don't ask me how I got into this. It's called the herd relay. But anyway, um, if you're gonna, wherever you're going to play and perform outside training, that's where we need to layer on levels of robustness. And that's, so there's health and function, you know, bones, hearts, every organ system in the body, remain independent, you know, be able to do the things you want to do for your life. Then you want to get fitter. You want to increase your capacity to do something better. Doesn't mean you get a health benefit. It just gives you a bigger capacity. But then we need to, the training piece needs to be, how do we want to live our lives? What do you want to be able to do? Where do you want to be able to live when you're 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100? Half of kindergartners today are going to make it to 100. So if people expect to start to deteriorate at 35 and 40, what the heck? For the next 60 years, you're going to keep going down? So. That 35 is a magic window to get after. It's never too late, but it's a heck of a lot harder. So. Yeah, thank you, Pat. So what I hear from you is the importance for training and that, and specifically in the aging adult, health and function, number one, and independence. And then adding a layer on top of that, if it's important to you and where do you want to live and what you want your lifestyle to be like, then there's another layer to that training. So thank you. Yeah. And then Paula, anything you want to add on top of that? 
Uh, not really. It's just it's you know it's just a matter of um, right physical function and older adults is important so they can continue to live the way live their lives the way they want to. Um, you know, if if a younger person stops training, no big deal. They'll be able to function. If an older adult stops training, it's a big deal, right? They're not going to be able to function as well. So it's just important for their ability to function in life. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And Paul, as we mentioned, you're on the advisory board for the Functional Aging Institute. And Pat, you curate certification content and educate on aging. What are some of the major physical challenges that come with aging or common challenges that you see with the majority of the clients that come to you? And we'll start with Paul on this one. Well, you see all kinds of physical challenges, right? From arthritis and cancers and cognitive decline and, and all that. Um, I think one of the challenges though is more of they're not even having a belief that they can even do this or that they can improve. For example, um, you know, as we get older, <clears throat> older adults start to realize and feel the decline in their body, whether it's arthritis or weakness or whatever. And they start talking about these things with their friends. And um, that's normal. <clears throat> that's how we make sense of the aging process. Um, but they never kind of think about the opposite. They never really think, oh, wait a minute. What are the possibilities physically? So I see that as a kind of a major block. And that's one thing I do with clients when they first come in, like if they come in to investigate what we do and if they want to do it, I tell them that. Look, I say, look, get a visual of how you want to be in your 70s, 80s or 90s, how you want to move, how you want to look, how much energy you want. And, and have that question in your mind, not that you have to have an answer, that question of what's possible, because they don't need to go there, right? They're just in this kind of negative thing. But they, so I always, you know, really bring that to their attention so they have something to look forward to. So I find that kind of, along with, there's all those physical barriers, but I find that is a pretty big barrier. I, I totally agree. In my, uh, I have seven S training buckets. The first one is spirit, that spirit bucket buying in. Yeah, I can, I can bend the trajectory of my aging curve. I can do better. But many people have been, oh, you're too old, don't do this. People ask me all the time, you still go on the blacks? Do you still do this? Well, yeah, why not? You know, so it's, people think they can't. That's, I, I totally agree with Paul, but from from all the other stuff, I think we see it all. We see cardiovascular, we see metabolic, we see comorbidities, we see multiple medications, we see depression. We everybody comes to us. MS. I've had I've had clients with just about everything I think there ever is. But yeah, so the idea is you get in quality of life. We get a moving for quality of life. I don't care what you do. I don't want to see your. I've talked. Paul and I've talked about this before. I think. I don't want to see your health history till I know more about you. What do you like to do? What, as Paul said, what do you see yourself doing at 60, 70, 80, 90? You know, let's, what did you used to like to do? Or what is something you always wanted to do? It's about being and doing. And, and I think, yeah, and I think there's just too many people that think they shouldn't. They're afraid they're going to get hurt. Uh, they're afraid they're going to look stupid. There's all these fears that we have to conquer. But hey, if you want to ballroom dance with your daughter at their wedding next summer, let's get ready to do it. 
So something very specific. I had a client, she was invited to go on a, a, a rafting trip with her family. She was in her early 60s. She was overweight, sore knees, metabolic syndrome, hypertension on multiple meds. And the family, her kid, grandkids and kids and husband were going to go on this trip and she couldn't go because she couldn't get in and out of the raft. She couldn't walk. She, she had all kinds of issues. So she made it her goal. The following summer, she was gone. And she got after that, she got off the meds, she lost 30 pounds, she lifted, she did gate work, she did every single thing possible, she went on that trip. So this is, people need specific things. It doesn't have to be a competition. It could be a wedding, it could be a vacation, it could be a reunion, it, it's something. Um, and I think everyone has something in their past that they enjoyed doing that they would like to do it again. There's something, but we got to dig. So. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. I really liked what you said there about getting them to focus, not on what they can't do, but getting them to focus on what is possible and what they can do. That's great. So really having a vision and then Pat, what you layered on top of that is having a specificity to that vision, which is yeah. really great. So that's awesome. That helps create buy-in and uh, can really be something powerful from day one when that person approaches you or, or steps into your facility. So Pat, you mentioned a little bit about having these pillars. Uh, can you elaborate on how you structure the education yeah. of your training and philosophy? Yeah. Um, I like to use the term hardiness. And what that means is resilience, durability, and robustness, functional health. Um, healthier longevity. That's what I'm trying to achieve with people. I think it's also the word grit fits in there as well. So this hardiness is built upon five pillars. And Paul pretty much nailed them. Mine are a little different, but they're the basics. Number one is purpose. My reason to get up in the morning. You know, that is number one and that will evolve as we age, okay, based on family, kids, work, things like that, but it's gonna evolve. But if people lose the reason to get up in the morning, it's a downward spiral. We help people with that. Then the movement pillar, uh, which is three big rocks, locomotion and motion, chores and steps and walk, play, dance, ski, adventure, travel, leisure time pursuit. So locomotion, motion, and play. And the third rock is training. And that is absolutely huge. It's the most powerful rock, especially if people sit at a screen all day. So we got purpose, we got movement, we got the whole nutrition pillar, three big, big rocks. We got water, we got eat real food. It, the appropriate, portions and proportions. People did that. Can you imagine how healthy we would be? And number four would be the rhythms pillar, rest, recovery, regeneration. That would be sleep, wind down, and recover based on what you're doing. The rhythms of our day, the rhythms of our week, months, years, decades, seasons. And then the fifth pillar is the stress pillar. And three rocks there. Number one, folks, stress is a good thing. That's how we grow, 
we learn and discover. So it's a norm, it's a good thing. It's based on our perception of the stress, stressor, which we can change. And then the third one, of course, is you build an offense and a defense against those stresses. So five pillars, purpose, movement, nutrition, rhythms, and stress. But the most important thing, and Paul alluded to this, those five pillars with those three big rocks are rooted in the cement of daily, weekly, seasonal habits, patterns, and practices. And today, everybody's looking for what I call granule fixes for big rock voids. Drink green tea, this will go away. Meditate, all your problems go away. Do yoga, oh, you'll be fit as a fiddle. No, that's not how it works. It's how you put them all together. But movement is the most powerful weapon we have in our arsenal to slow down the pace at which we age, period. So those are the pillars. Awesome, thanks for sharing that, Pat. And, and I kind of want to, I guess, combine your philosophies. They're very similar in a sense. So we have the structure of how you guys program, the way that you facilitate um, the education to your client, right? But from their point of view, they're starting to kind of build that thought process and why they need exercise. They're starting to get older. They start to feel weaker. Their energy's on the decline, so they come see you. But just like anybody who walks into the gym, day one can be intimidating. They don't know what they're doing maybe for exercise. So post day one, how do we build buy-in? How do we continue to get buy-in? Because one week, that's great. Consistency, it's new, it's shiny. Week two, week three. But as we get deeper into the weeks, what are we doing to continue that buy-in? And, and Paul, I'm going to start with you first. So you're kind of looking at buy-in uh, kind of after day one, week one, week two, week three kind of thing, because <clears throat> that's a great way to look at it, a great approach. And um, I don't know if I have a great answer um, um, in that, you know, um, people, have to, people have to bring their own motivation to it. Um, you know, I've had many people kind of say to me, you know, this is kind of boring. And I'm like, yep. It is. I just kind of bring it right, right back at them. Like, you know, what that is, what it is. Um, but with that said, um, you know, I think, um, you know, the buy-in can come from like, like, like with everything that we're hearing in the media about what exercise does, right? From helping us, you know, decreasing our chances of cancer to decreasing our chances of dementia. Why wouldn't you? So I'm gonna kind of leave that in their lap. Um, and then as far as the buy-in further along like weeks, like they are going to experience. So our model here is most is one-on-one -on -one and, 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 and couples training or two people. We don't do groups or classes. Um, so the, their experience of how they're feeling, right? From the benefit or from the, the um, uh, improvements that they're making is the buy-in. They're going to feel it. So I do the best I can to turn it on them rather than having them dependent on me 
it's got to be that way. They've got to take ownership of it, or they're or they're just it's not gonna it's not gonna it's not gonna be as as a deep as a commitment. Or uh, yeah, um, so I, I would say the buy-in would just come from them experiencing the improvements that they're that they're getting, um, and then just the commitment that we have at Age Performance as trainers, um, that you know we're buying into it and that we're committed to their health. And um, yeah, that's what I would say it would be. Yeah, I think you hit on a really good point there. It's like your own passion with you and your staff, like showcases why you should be bought in as a potential client. And then on the flip side is you're giving them that ownership to choose to be here. Hey, this is well worth it for yourself to continue on with your health. And then Pat, from your perspective, it's almost like a little give and take. Um, you want to keep continue to ski. You want to continue to raft. Well, let's train. So are you using that kind of tactic to build buy-in over time? Like, that's fantastic. The client was able to go water rafting. Maybe she's like, hey, I want to keep doing this so I can go back um, and continue to do it on my own is more of like, let's say a hobby. Is that pretty spot on from your perspective? I, I, yeah, I, I would say. And I think in the very beginning, that first meeting with the person, especially we're talking newbies here, novices that have no confidence, no confidence. You know, they're just really not feeling good about themselves. But what I've done in the past is, um, and this worked for like 25 years, I would, I would get someone who was the newbie. I said, okay, let's go. First, first thing I would do, they'd call me up usually. I'm interested, da, 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 da. I said, okay, tell me a little bit about yourself. And, um, blah, 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 go on. I said, I'm going to send you my packet of, you know, we, after we go over fees and scheduling and all that. I said, I'm going to send you a packet of information that I want you to complete. And before I um, set up our, I would do a consultation, which was a consult and an assessment, same hour and a half, 90 minutes. This is what worked for me for decades. So I say, okay, fill in the paperwork, get it back to me. I will review it in its entirety before we meet. And I make notes all over it. I said, then we're going to go for a cup of coffee. And we would walk to the local coffee shop where I got to watch Posture and Gait in action. They didn't know that. And we'd talk. I would go through all the paperwork. But my health history starts out with, what do you like to do? What did you enjoy in the past? Um, what would you like to do again? Um, is there anything on the radar that, you know, you have a wedding or anything like that? Um, I learn about their jobs. I learn about everything. At the very end is the health history. I'm not focusing on that. That's last. Okay. So then we go through all the history, go through nutrition side. I have a rather lengthy thing. Then, okay, we walk back over to the gym and I do a 30, 45 minute assessment. Let's see what you can do. Um, I do a mobile, I, I like the, I look at posture, I look at gait, I like the FMS functional movement screen. There's a whole pile of other screens for older adults who are maybe more limited, but I pick the tools that give me the information I need to know. And then we go. And one of the things we discuss is this doesn't have a start and a stop date. This is a lifetime plan. Now you may not see me for the rest of your life. I always say, I hope you give me the boot, but think about this as 
lifetime. And the other biggest thing I ask people is, we, we uh, alluded to this in the beginning, where do you want to live in the next 20 years? Do you want to be in a nursing home as a female for 13 years of dependent living? You want to cut that in half? Then let's get on it. Because you go into a nursing home today, most of the people are women. The average time span there is 13 years. That is a wake-up call. Men die earlier, but they got more muscle, strength, and bone. And you know, our medicine today is going to keep us alive. So I, I lay it on heavy there. And uh, the people will often say, Paul, you probably got the same thing. You know, I feel like crap on all these medications. Well, how would you like to wean off them? Oh my God, I would love that. Sometimes you have to be on them for life. But a lot of them, the doses are too high and they got people in la-la land. Let's get some energy, you know? So it's, you build, you build relationships. That's what we do as coaches. You know that, whether it's athletes, older people, you build relationships. And when they, you got that trust, well, the sky's the limit. So I, I aim to um, educate and inspire people to aspire to something better. That's kind of my philosophy. But every person's different. Every per there is no one size fits all. So. And I just want to quickly circle back to the lifetime plan because I think that's such a a good thing to harp on. This isn't like a a small sprint of training to, to accomplish maybe a, a specific goal, but are you setting that tone in your first consultation? Like, listen, this is in all seriousness, you know, you're straightforward with the person, um, which I'm, I'm assuming most of them probably appreciate that rather than the fluff. Like, are you delivering it the same way that you just delivered it to us now? Yeah. You know, you figure out personalities. You know, as you guys know, you, some people need a little more TLC. Some people just let me have it. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. So you figure it out. You know, somebody's going to give me TLC. I'm like, oh, give it to me straight. You know, so, but you, you have to, you know, you, you can't be the same with every person. You, you figure them out. Just like if you have a, a team of soccer players, does everyone have the same personality? I mean, you can see the difference between offense and defense and goalkeepers. They're different. You know, so sprinters and distance people, different. So it's, just, it's, it's people and their personality. But yeah, I, I, I think still we have, and Paul's been in it a long time like me, fitness still has a bad image. It's still about looks, getting looks, and weight loss. I'm sorry. That is not what it's about. It's about staying independent and living a purposeful, vital, vitality-filled life. You know, so, and we're the ones that help people improve their vehicles. You know, the spirit drives the mind, drives the body. So it's up here first. Awesome, thank you, Pat. And Paul, Pat had just mentioned a second ago, it's still really difficult, right, to motivate a lot of people. Are you finding that to still be really challenging to to get people going and and motivated 
and to fight against a stigma of exercise for that population? Um, or, or resistance training? Well, once they, once they, like, I'm stuck in these four walls here, right? And clients come in, they've already taken the first step. So they know why they're here and they're pretty much motivated to go anyway. So I don't, I don't see that much of a problem. I think getting people outside of the facility, right? Out in general population, out in the communities. I, yeah, I, I think it's like any other person. It's just hard, it's hard to do. I mean, we're, we're in an, um, we're, we, we live our lives with such convenience, trying to make everything convenient. Um, so that we don't have to physically assert ourselves. And that's the real problem, right? When we were hunters and gatherers, yeah, we needed to conserve our energy, but we don't need to do that anymore. We need to find ways to burn energy. We need to be, we need to, we need to have, an in, we need to have our physical lives be inconvenienced. Um, so I think that's true across the board from you know, younger people <clears throat> to older people. And I don't quite frankly have a good answer for that, right? I think experts have been trying to figure that out for <clears throat> decades. Like, like the same information I'm hearing today, you know, Pat and I have heard, and you guys have heard 30, 40 years ago. So I don't know, I don't no, have an answer. Except, except, <laughs> except for people that, um, you know, come here to the facility, they're pretty much ready to go, right? They've already kind of pulled the trigger. So it's kind of easy in that way that they're ready to go pretty much. Um, just have to give them guidance and the reasons why we do the things and kind of give them, you know, a pathway to follow and then they're pretty good to go. And what's interesting is, again, right, some, some may come in like it, it's not it's, it's expensive to do this, to do the personal training um, and several come in and say, well, I'm going to do this for six weeks or whatever. But they end up most of them keep going because they value it and know that they realize they can't either do it on their own that's why they come in in the first place or they're not going to push themselves um, as, as, as much or do the things they're going to do without a coach or a trainer. Yeah, I like the line that you said here. You said you have to make life inconvenient for these individuals. So I, I appreciate that. That resonated with me. And then Pat also mentioned posturing gait are two things that she looks at kind of day one and things you're working on. Paul, I understand you have, um, excuse me. Can you discuss some of the qualities and abilities that you also address with some of your clients at age performance? Yeah. So I think, I think that's what you're, what you're asking here is, you know, we're just keeping it simple with like Dan Johns mastering the five fundamental human movements, right? Push, pull, hand, squat, carry. That's all we care about. And when I explain that to them, like, oh, that's simple. And I like to look at it that way. I like to look at it as like, like an iPhone, right? I, I don't have any idea how an iPhone works intrinsically, but I know how to use it. So I kind of explain that with our clients. It's like, this is like an iPhone. I, you know, I want this to be simple and simple to use. So we just base our work on the five fundamental human movements, mastering those movements. And then we do five, um, we, we do a lot of original strength work, which is, um, the five resets or the things that we do as infants, um, you know, uh, diaphragmatic breathing, head nods, head turns, crawling, rocking, and rolling. And when you do that, the two fit really well. So you've got five fundamental human movements, five resets, and when you do those, it's like 
a hand in glove. They fit really well. It's easy for them to understand. We're off and running. Now, with that said, and I hope we can get into this in more detail because I love it, is the speed and power. Um, we're big on that. We are pretty much exclusively doing all that. And research is showing, and, and I won't go into a tangent here, but research is showing with older adults, that's far more important than strength. And that could be like heresy, you know, that could be blasphemy to strength coaches. What do you mean? But no, that's what the research is showing. So anyway, uh, with those five attributes of bringing the um, muscular system and nervous system together, then the speed and power is something very critical or, 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 or it's very important to us. And we work just a ton on that in, 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 in our facility. Yeah, Pat, I see you nodding your head up and down over there. I think the speed and power aspect kind of resonated with you. Is that right? Absolutely. What do people do? They age, they slow down, period. I don't care, y'all, period. So we have to try to preserve that. Well, piggybacking on four, I have seven S training buckets. Spirit bucket number one. Number two is the baby bucket. That is suppleness and stability. Bucket number three, gait speed with sprint-like mechanics. Bucket four, strength and power, moving loads, light implement loading. That's, that's our anti-frailty bucket. The gait bucket is the anti-slipper shuffle bucket. Then bucket five is skills. Agility, balance, coordination, power, reaction, and speed. That's body weight stuff. That's your physical literacy. Then we have six, stamina, and seven is specificity of training and what's specific to the person. So speed and power are absolutely critical. And it, I think as well as the skill, especially agility, um, which are neglected in training adults. So yeah, piggybacking right on what Paul said. So he talked about crawling. That's the baby bucket. <laughs> so when you start bringing up those terms to your clients, right? Hey, we're going to work on speed and power. Like, does that make them nervous at all? Or? Oh, I don't even tell them. I just uh, say, do this. Let me see yeah. how fast you can do it. I don't even, I'll educate them as we go, but I'm not going to give them a explanation before. You know, let me see you. Let me see you walk. Let me see you walk faster. And uh, part of my training is always drills that rehearse something with gait, independent hips, reciprocal arms, skip, march, leap, bound, run, maybe run, maybe not. Um, all the skills that you, that you teach in elementary school, basic locomotor skills, they're in every single class I teach. I actually teach and lead classes. And then we go on to, um, depending on the level of the person, but power with light implements like a medicine ball, like a kettlebell. And then we go into strength and, you know, I, my, I have a set pattern I follow. So, uh, but yeah, speed and power are absolutely huge. Uh, so, but you need, you know, you got to, as we know, we teach confidence, we teach proper technique. We're not loading when you're not ready and you're certainly not doing fast stuff if you're not ready. But yeah, definitely. Um, but most people will tell you, 
If you observe older people as they age, they just slow down in every single thing they do. The slipper shuffle with the hunch posture is not a normal thing. It's not part of aging. It's part of lack of stimulus. So yeah, um, and that's why I like the Kaiser stuff because you can push and pull fast <laughs> without right swinging and swinging and losing control of things. Yeah, and can I add, can I yeah go, can, can I, I add Paul? to that? Yeah, so of yeah, so if I simply uh, say to a in terms of like to speed and power make them nervous, if I simply just explain to them, you know, hey, like when you um, lose your balance or you have to recover quickly, that's what's going to do it for you is working out speed and power. Like, oh, I didn't think of that. And then also I have them sit on the end end of a chair, like at the very end of a chair, and then have them stand up just like an inch. And then sit back down and have them stand up again, just like an inch. And there's that initial movement. I call it a spark. And yeah. that's, the begin that's the initiation of the fast twitch muscle fiber or that power, right? And I, you, I said, do you notice that? And they go, yeah. Because like from there, after that inch, and then you have them stand, well, that's strength. But it's that, it's that initial spark that we lose, right? Through as we, as we age. And not only that, there are like three sparks when you lie down on the floor and you go to get up to stand up, there's three or four sparks involved. So when I explain that to them, they're like, oh, okay, I see what you mean. And so that eases the kind of that connotation of intimidation. Like, are you crazy, of, Paul? You're crazy. <laughs> but it softens the, the intimidation maybe of the, of, the, of the speed and power. So that's kind of how I use it. So, Paul, just to kind of reiterate there, are you using pretty much like everyday movements to kind of get your point across when it across when it comes to like speed and power? Like that simple sitting up from a chair, sitting back down and sitting up again. It's not like we're doing a slow eccentric to sit on the couch and then get no. back up again for everyday living. So does that concept really, I got hit home for a lot of the people that you work with? It, it does, yeah. And, and if I'm always explaining to them why we're doing it, it really, it makes sense to them. And, you know, again, like, um, like Pat said, we're doing, you know, we're doing everything we, uh, you know, bounds and, 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 and broad jumps. But again, most of what we use is the Kaiser functional trainer and the air runner. The air runner is one of my best tools for this because it puts them in a safe position to safe exercise and it's, locomotive and it's sprinting. I mean, I mean, they get something to really push against and, you know, couple that with like sprinter arms off of the functional trainer with the arms down at the bottom and they're doing sprinter arms and go back and forth between those two. Uh, it's a pretty great combination. But then again, we do an all, all, you know, a bunch of other stuff too. That's awesome. And I, and I kind of want to bleed this into like subjective feedback. So we talked about a little bit more of like, um, assessment, so gait, FMS, um, and whatnot to kind of just gauge where they need to be. But like, when it comes to subjective feedback, like, hey, I'm walking up steps better. Um, I'm able to down to pick up my grandchild. Um, are you guys getting a lot of that feedback? And if so, like, what's your biggest uh, um, positive story that you have received uh, from a client? Like, they're so grateful that they trained with you. And you know, this is the feedback they have provided in the real life situation. Uh, Pat, we'll go with you first. Oh, okay. Oh, all of the above. Everything that you just said, anything that 
Hey, Pat, I was able to put my uh, luggage in the overhead on the airplane, no problem. I was able to make it from this terminal to that terminal, pulling my carry-on because I could go. Um, I was able to go downhill skiing. I always knew how to ski, but I was so freaking wiped out from carrying my skis and walking in my boots, I quit going. Now I can do it. I'm not tired. Oh, anything? Yes. I, I can. Tons of those kinds of things. I can walk my dog twice a day now and not get tired. Oh, by the way, I actually got down on the floor and scrubbed it. Yeah. <laughs> and up and down. No, I mean, things like that, I encourage. So, yeah. Oh, I can, you know, I have tons of files and people and quotes and stuff. Yeah. And then, you know, it's nice for them to see, for example, they improved their speed in something or they increased their load in something. But really, it, 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 I always say if our training does not transfer to life, quality of life outside the gym, we're missing the boat. Love it. And I, I want to bring this full circle again to Paul, a comment that you made earlier in regards to buy-in. Like these little nuances through everyday tasks and them getting excited for, like Pat had mentioned, putting my luggage up um, above on the airplane. Like that's what's probably bringing them back, if I'm not mistaken. These like really quick wins through everyday life. Is it, would you yeah. say, Paul? Yeah. So um, just an hour ago, when well, no, two hours ago, I had a client working with one of my other trainers and he was about ready to leave. He just said, hey, this is really working for me because I feel already so much more stable on my feet. Simple. Very simple yeah. thing, but but there's the buy-in. Um, now, kind of going back in, in, in answering your question a little bit more specifically in terms of um, assessments, I tend not to do assessments or anything like that because, and I want to add another story after this, but um, if I have to do an assessment, I will, but we get assessed throughout our whole lives from grade school to middle school to high school to job performance everything i want age performance to be a place where let's let the let's let go of those things let's let's have an environment where we're not having to be judged or tested or assessed and so we i tend to not do those i don't want that to be a part of what we do unless I, unless I absolutely have to <clears throat> but i let those buy-ins be it or i let those experiences that their experience be the big the big buy-in <clears throat> um a really interesting thing that happened four years ago, we had a client who was in his 90s and we had been working with him for many years and he had congestive heart failure. So every once in a while, he would have to go to his doctor because he wasn't feeling well. And his doctor said, you know, we'll keep going, keep exercising, you know, and come back, he'd keep working. He was a golfer, loved golf, but he was good. He was getting pretty frail, but he had this progressive problem of congestive heart failure. <clears throat> so but he was functional. So one day his doctor said, well, you, you got to quit. You can't go to that gym anymore. So his wife called up and said, hey, we can't come anymore. The doctor said, we can't come. Okay, that's fine. So two weeks later, I get a call from his wife. And she said, just in tears, um, my, you know, Dick, he can't, he, he can't get out of bed now. He can't, he really lost so much function. I don't know what to do. And I, we had a discussion. I said, like, I can't go against what your doctor says. But let's look at the situation here. He's in congestive heart failure. He doesn't have a lot of time left, but his function is really waning. <clears throat> um, you know, come back in 
<clears throat> if you want, it's your decision. Um, we will do functional things. We can put you on machines and build up your his strength, you know, without putting excess stress on his cardiovascular system, no more than he would get just getting out of bed and doing activities of daily living, right? <clears throat> it made sense to her. Came back in within two weeks, he was back to where he was. And he even went out and bought a new golf club <clears throat> yeah. to practice on the driving range. He, he wasn't playing golf anymore because he really couldn't sustain nine to 18 holes, but he would go and chip and putt and all that. But he went and bought a new chipping iron <clears throat> to, 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 keep, to keep, you know, to, to practice his chipping. So, yeah, I mean, that was a huge kind of moment for me of like, whoa, this is really, really incredible and so important to have people's, right, their, um, their health span meet their lifespan so that we just, boom, both end at the same time yeah. at the end of life. Uh, yeah, see, see, the other thing that people, this is very difficult to measure, but Paul nailed it. When people have a reason to get up in the morning, I'm gonna go see Paul at the gym. That, that changes everything. And when people are getting later on in years and they're getting closer to the end, we want it as quality as it possibly can be. My dad went through two pacemakers, was still playing golf at the very end. And what he would do is he would jump on his buddy's carts who were in the 70s just for the hill. He carried his bag and he only had like five clubs by then. But the point was, his, his training, his purpose, his friends, that's what gave him quality of life. And when we can build up that vehicle just enough to increase quality of life and give people purpose, this is huge. So those are those things we can't measure, but boy, do they matter, do they matter. No, I think I 100% agree with that and I think I want to quickly go back to Paul, the story that you just told, like, and, and Pat, I'd be curious to see if you run into similar situations, which I'm assuming you do, the, the navigation of the insights that a person gets from their doctor, maybe telling them to pull back, like, how are you navigating? It's such a murky place, because at the end of the day, people trust their doctor, um, especially in the health industry, when it comes to fitness, there's a lot of fluff. So it's tough to trust people. So Paul, like, how did, I understand you kind of touched on a little bit, but like, are you, how do you navigate that tough conversation that's saying, Hey, you still need to work out, but there's, there's a thought process to how we do it. Um, well, one thing that I always believed as we get older, I mean, both are important, our cardiovascular conditioning, and then our uh, ability to function muscularly, right? But if we get older, that becomes more important than the heart stuff. Our heart's going to give way at some point, right? Mm -hmm. So I always tell them, like, what's more, I mean, again, they're both important, but what's more important as we get older is our ability to function. The heart's going to do what it's going to do. If I can function and I die at 60, I die at 60. If I function at 90, I'm a high functioning person at 90 and my heart goes, well, I, you know what I'm saying? So as we get older, that becomes more important. So I explained that to them. And um, yeah, I, I think with the conversations, um, 
just being honest with them and having an honest conversation about it and making it, but the decision has to come from them, right? Um, so yeah, that's that's how I navigate that. That's great. And then Pat, I want to go to you too as well, because earlier in the conversation, you brought up like um, different medications and hey, let's try to reduce that. Like, what's your approach in attacking that? I mean, it gets a little bit monotonous, always taking a pill every day. Um, but also you're kind of challenging the prescription of the doctor as well. So how do you navigate those tough situations and conversations as well? Well, just a couple things for coaches and trainers in general. Um, locally, you need to become a colleague of the frontline people, the primary care practitioners. If there's any geriatric people around, the internists, the OBGYNs, you gotta make friends, professional relationships with them as soon as you can. So they know what you do, invite them, to the, your facility, you know, take them for a coffee and explain what you do, um, that you work with them. Because what's happening is we're getting referrals when it's known disease and they've already gone over the cliff, they've had three procedures, now we gotta haul them back, which we can work with them, but we gotta get on the front end. So that's one thing. And there is coming down the pike reimbursement for training, it's coming. Um, and physicians are looking to people like us. They can't do what we do. We spend more time with people. We, we bend the trajectory of the aging curve. But as far as the medication thing goes, Mike, um, yeah, what I do is in, uh, typically that would be a higher risk person who's got cold morbidities and things going on. I'll say, um, we'll get you going and when's your next visit to your doc for your blood work? Because that we can't do. We can do blood pressures and heart rates if, if, but now everybody's got watches that do all this stuff. But the, the blood work is key. And um, if uh, I've had this happen numerous times, people have been on uh, blood pressure, blood sugar, lipids, pain meds, and antidepressants. And they'll start to have more energy, walking more, doing two total body workouts a week, say with me or Paul. Um, the weight starts coming off. They're like, "Correct." Every time I stand up, I'm dizzy. I'm like, "Okay, I think we need to take a look at your meds. Don't you dare go up and by yourself." But it's probably time to start weeding off stuff. Oh, and my blood sugar is normal. Uh, okay, and I'm like not moody all the time. I I feel good. So when the they have a practitioner that's following them, then the meds come down and sometimes completely off. So no, I never, I mean, I know too much about medications, but I just, no, you gotta be weaned off. You don't go cold turkey on that stuff, you know? So, but we need to build better relationships with these frontline practitioners because they can catch them early. And, oh, go see Mike, go see Paul, go see Gabe. They'll get you up to speed. And then come back and see me. Maybe you don't have to go on. I'm a big, big push of let's get after the pre's, the pre-frailty, the pre-diabetes, the pre-dyslipidemia, and how about pre-overweight? You know, so yeah, we gotta get after it early. But to Paul's point about later on in the decades, oh yeah, 
function. If you have to move out of your own house or downsize to a flat, your movement sphere goes from here to there. So the strength, the power, the mobility, the stability, the coordination, the agility in your movement sphere. But we want it in, we want movement spheres that are rich, not dead. So that you talk in those terms to people, you know, and you start talking about, can you get off the toilet by yourself? This is huge. Can you step into the shower? I mean, all those things, do you have to hire out for every single thing that needs to be done at your house? And then your kids are gonna start screaming, mom, you better move. Dad, you better move. We can't do it. So this is stuff that, yeah, you gotta, yeah. Cause nobody wants to talk about that until Gabe gets the call from his mom. Uh, Gabe, could you come over here and this is like this wall, you know? And not that there's anything wrong with them, but they lost function. So yeah, it's it, this this is the future working with older adults. And in my mind, it's 35 plus. <laughs> really good insights from both of you, but I do want to highlight um, the advice of you know getting in touch and communicating with those frontline workers, whether it's just like a cup of coffee, like you had mentioned, Pat. Like I think that's that's such good advice for um, maybe even up and coming professionals, current professionals and whatnot, because it's such an unordinary space um, to even think about. Maybe it's intimidating or whatnot, but the more that we can kind of be um, cohesive and integrated with different professions in the health industry, the better we are moving oh, forward. Sure. We are part of the health industry. This is the problem with the image. And then who do the docs see? Oh yeah, so-and-so moves back out, back squatting. So this is what they see, injuries. Or they see all the stuff with the dieting thing. You know, we have to change our image. We're front line. So. Absolutely, thanks to the both of you for the insights there. And Paul, you mentioned a little bit earlier about some of the equipment you have there, the air runner, the functional trainer, I understand you have quite a bit of Kaiser equipment at age performance. Can you expand on why you like utilizing the Kaiser equipment and pneumatics for the active aging clientele? Yeah. Um, well, obviously it's just the safest way there is to, to be able to work speed and power. I mean, I have just, I've been, I've had it for, um, 20 years, 18, 20 years. Um, and I just don't have to worry about somebody getting injured if they're doing fast movements, right? That's the purpose of it. Um, um, I, 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 really, uh, I really don't know what to say. Um, you know, like, like, like I, you know, of course I use bands on some things, but not very much because I don't think bands are nearly as effective. <laughs> and they're not. Um, but I can just go to any any one of my functional trainers or performance trainers or machines or the air runner or even a rival rack. I use all of it. <clears throat> and I don't have to worry um, about the speed of movement, right? Of course, I can do slow movements on it as well. Um, if I want to work strength that day, which I rarely do now. But, um, you know, and the air runner has been 
I, I just, you know, when I first opened the facility, I always wanted the air runner, but I had to pick and choose because I had a limited budget. Well, it wasn't until like, I think 10 years, 12 years later, I got my air runner. And that's been the best thing ever. And I've get my, um, I've got my 80 and some of my 90 year olds on the air runner. And it just gives them a really good feel <clears throat> of how they can push something really fast. Um, you know, I was with um, 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 Alistair in, in Denver last year at Functional Aging Institute Summit. And my booth was next to Kaiser's and you guys had an air runner functional trainers. And so we had a group of women visiting, I can't remember from where, but there were four of them and they were visiting, looking at your equipment. And, you know, here they were and, you know, they wanted to get on the air runner. Well, you know, none of us really knew them, but I could kind of tell by the way they carried themselves, whether they could do it or not. Cause you're right, you gotta have some kind of, uh, you know, core stability, be able to do it. But we got on them, they've never done it before and went through a process to kind of teach them how to do it. And they loved it. In fact, I think they ended up buying one, but they loved it. And, um, you know, and I'll say this, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be a big commercial for Kaiser. I mean, I've, again, I've, I've had a relationship with you guys for a long time. And, um, but, but I think um, there's so much, there's, there's, a, there's a more interest now as of late with speed and power with older adults than I've heard, okay? It's, it's taken some time, but I really feel like it's gaining some traction. And, um, and so I just, you know, I, I just, you know, to, to service older adults better, we need to provide them with the equipment to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, where they can get the best results in, in a safe manner. And so, yeah, I've just, you know, just been really, really happy with it. Um, and it's been great. Thanks. We're glad to hear that. And Pat, I know you're a little bit familiar with the Kaiser family and you go back a little bit. Can you tell us about some of your early experiences with some of the Kaiser strength equipment? Um, yeah, back in the eighties, it was like, whoa, the greatest, it was cutting edge back in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah. But one of the things I always uh, liked about it, and then as you came in with more of the functional training apparatus, it's so adjustable to so many different limb lengths and sizes and shapes of people. Plus you can do the reciprocal actions, which I absolutely love. And so I've always just found it so versatile, you know, and as, as Paul was saying with the speed work, <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit, um, safer than some of the other equipment out there when you're doing speed so i yeah i've i've always i've just uh, i just haven't had it at my fingertips yeah and uh doing uh you know going over to boyle's facility he's got it and you know i've used it there and i just i just think it's great stuff and it has really great applications for the older adults so very flexible very versatile all that awesome and pat can you touch on where some of our listeners can go to learn more about the conversation we're having, maybe continuing education, certifications, lectures, or just quality information in regards to active aging? Wow. Yes. <laughs> but I know you're pretty active. I know you're pretty active on LinkedIn. There's so much now. It's you got to find the resources that have filtered all the crap out because there's a lot of crap, but, um, uh, I personally believe that the performance training model 
all the seven S what I call training buckets. I, I personally believe the certified functional strength coach from the Boyle group is the best hands-on certification out there. That is super. Um, now there's, uh, I just did a 20 hour course for MedFit classroom. It's a 20 hour course on my system of cardiometabolic rehab and rehab is restore energy, hardiness, aspirations, and benchmarks. So it's not the standard what you're thinking rehab. So it's that whole system. The International Council of Active Aging has great stuff. And for not just uh, professionals, but for the average person, there's free newsletters and things like that. Um, the Functional Aging Institute for sure, the Cooper Institute, Cooper, Ken Cooper still puts stuff out there. Um, the American College of Sports Medicine from a research and a clinical standpoint is excellent. Um, I read everything I can get my hands on. I read things like Neurobics, which is a book about, uh, it's for the lay person. It's an excellent book on how the, about proprioception and, and stimulus to the brain. So, um, but, the, there's a lot of really good scientific organizations, but they don't always have the practical. So I'm in this, I love the research, but boy, do I love hands-on. So I'm always trying to filter and put those things together. Um, but yeah, th those are some of the ones that from a professional standpoint, but from an inspirational standpoint, go to geezerjock.com. Paul, I expect to see you on that one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Caesar Jock is it just uh, and and growing bolder those two Mark Middleton growing bolder and Geezer Jock it's more from a performance competition athletic standpoint but wow they're out there people are doing it and it's it's truly I mean I go up here on this ski mountain right up the chairlift with somebody in their eighties they're getting after it. So they're out there, but they don't always get a lot of press. And, and sometimes the athletic model, the average person that maybe never competed or had any kind of athletic exposure or maybe just was never physical, that doesn't motivate them. But when they see someone out walking their dog on a hike, that sometimes, you know, it has to be kind of inspirational within their movement sphere or outside their movement sphere, but not so far away that they think they could never do it, you know? So those are some of mine. Paul, you probably have a zillion more. <laughs> you know, I, um, I don't, but I'll say this. In the, yeah, you do. <laughs> no, I don't. Um, I, I, I've talked with other trainers about this. I, I mean, I think we can get so caught up on like, getting so much information and yeah. read so many books. And I'm not against that at all, of course, mm -hmm. but there's another side, right? It's the old IQ versus EQ. And I think mm -hmm. as trainers and coaches and trainers, we're so overdeveloped with trying to gain knowledge and, and that's great, right? But I think there's not enough, there's not enough conversation out there or discussion about how to develop EQ. Like, I think what's important for a trainer to acquire is their ability to take in an energetic communication that goes on between, you know, 
between themselves and the client or clients. Um, you know, getting getting like like I call it um, physical empathy. Um, I don't have any emotional empathy. You can ask my wife, but physical empathy, I have. I don't know if that's been developed or something that's born with where I can literally feel what the client is experiencing in a session, and I don't know what I'm going to do. I have a I have an idea what I'm going to do, right? But I don't know when I'm going into a session. But I'm 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 trying to tune into that energetic field of communication that goes on. Because that's what's going to dictate what, it's, what, I, what I'm going to do. And if I do that, I hit the mark every time. Now, do I get that every time? No, because I may be tired or whatever. But for the most part, I do. And when I do, it's a perfect session. And it's even, it's even spontaneously in every moment or every exercise. Like, I may have an idea of what I'm going to do. But then if I'm tuned in, I'll go do something else. Yeah. It's to the point where, you know, I can even, like, if someone comes in, and I see them and I'm like in that space, I can like, you're not feeling too well, are you? And she, he's still like, oh, no, how'd you know? I, said, I just kind of tell, but I don't tell him. I, can feel, I just kind of say, well, I can kind of see it in your eyes. But, you know, um, that, doesn't, that doesn't get, I, I don't know how you would do it. I've got some ideas, but I think expanding upon that and having some education there on how to acquire that or develop that would be huge for trainers and coaches to, you know, uh, in, in our, just in our development, you know, in, in conjunction with re doing all the reading that we do. Maybe I don't yeah, do as much, maybe, maybe I don't do enough reading. <laughs> no, no, no. I just think it also comes with time and experience with people. Well, it certainly comes with experience. Relationship with people. But I think and you have I, to develop I it. I think back, when I look back, when I got out of college, I was an idiot. I mean, I had no, you know, empathy for people. I was just trying to do my job and do what I thought was best. And then after grad school, you learn more stuff. But it's all about reading people and, and developing relationships with them. And I don't know that there is a cookbook for that. I think it's just about how we learn as the decades go on. My clients are the ones that taught me stuff. You know, that they, you, yeah, I don't know how else to say it. You develop relationships with people and that takes time and it takes energy. And yeah, you can read them. You can read them when they walk in the door, you know. I mean, you might have to completely, you have a template in your mind, but then you flip it entirely. I've had people have meltdowns, they show up and we have, okay, let's just go for a walk and get out of here. Let's just go for a walk, you can bake, you know? So yeah, you do, you adjust on your feet all the time, yeah. Excellent, so recapping, you know, our entire conversation and bringing it full circle, the three things that at least really stood out to me was number one, having a purpose and a specific vision, I think was really important. Number two, educating the clients and the individual on the why, and not just educating them on the why, but having honest communication around those conversations. Mm -hmm. And then number three, building relationships with everyone that's involved with that individual. So to enhance your care and services as a human performance practitioner on your end can be really valuable for you and your business and also your care for the individual, which is ultimately why you're there and what you are providing. So I think that's really great. One fun question for the both of you to finish up here. Paul, you are in Utah. 
Pat, you're in Montana. You have access to the great outdoors. What do you love to do outside of the weight room, outside of your training space? What sort of activities do you wake up on the weekend? You're like, I cannot wait to go do this. I'll start with Pat on this one. We'll finish the fall. Well, I kind of showed you my outdoors. So it's four seasons go here. Um, downhill ski is my number one love. It's, I learned as a four-year-old. So that's my number one love. So, But I have to train to do it because if I'm going to have a collision, hit something or some or fall, I have to be able to bounce back from that. But downhill, cross-country, skate, ski, or winter. Then it's mountain bike, bike. I run a lot, you know. Um, we take care of our property. So snow removal, moving rocks, dirt, whatever, any project that's physical. Um, I wouldn't mind getting back into golf. I learned how to play golf as a kid, so I would like to do that again. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's four seasons go here. Now, mud season's a little nasty. That's when we do projects. Because you can't really ski or hike. It's a big mud pit, you know. So um, we do other projects there. But yeah, it's it. That's what I love to do, and I train so I can keep doing it. That's plus I love to, you know, I, I love to teach and coach, and that's kind of goes hand in hand. So, but yep, that's that's me. Awesome, Paul. Um, yeah. So a discussion that I I don't think we cover or will cover, but. Is like, I don't do any endurance training. I used to, I've done marathons and all that. And I know this is, I know you asked the question, what do you do outside the gym? But I need to touch on this. Like, I really question this idea of why are we doing so much endurance training, right? Triathlons, marathons. And we talked about this a little bit. <clears throat> um, so I don't do any of that because I really am trying to practice what I preach. So, because I think that retards our ability to move fast. Again, I know I'm talking on that one end of the spectrum, like way on the way in, but I do it because I love it. I do it how it makes me feel. I love how, I love having that springiness and that spontaneity in my legs. If I go do something with endurance, it diminishes it. Now, let me, let me, let me uh, finish. So with my training in the gym, I am, I'm doing plyometrics. I'm doing stuff to build my elasticity in my lower legs. I'm doing the power. I, I'm even, I'm even experimenting, finding ways to do zone two training that doesn't interfere with my that's, fast twitch muscle fiber. So, yeah. so I'm, and I'm really excited about what I'm learning and what I'm doing for myself to get that zone two training. That's not going to interfere with that, that, the, the fast twitch muscle, muscle fiber. So with that said, that's my, that's my training in the gym. I don't do any endurance. Now, what do I like to do outside the gym? Um, like Pat, we have, sorry to say this, Pat, we have the best skiing in the world. Um, I've been there. <laughs> we have the best skiing in the world. Best, snow, okay, best, best snow on earth. Greatest snow on earth. Um, Alta has over 500 inches already. Anyway, um, so I do a lot of downhill skiing. I do canyoneering and I do, one of my favorite things to do is to, is to backpack. Now, I don't, that doesn't, I can go do all that stuff with ease. Even mm -hmm. though I'm training the way I'm training, I'm not doing endurance training, right? It still translates in my ability. So when I go backpacking, I'm, and I'm not doing this to brag, I just to make a point is I'll do 15 to 18 miles a day, three or four days in a row. Um, 
of course I'm tired, but I'm able to do it and wake up the next morning and be recovered enough to continue on. So my train, my the training I'm doing is still allowing me to do that, even though I'm not doing endurance training. Now I would probably better be better off to do endurance training, but but 99% of the time I'm doing fast twist, multiplied work, power work, and and that kind of thing. But I don't do any kind of formalized endurance training. Only when I'm going out to recreate, which again isn't all that often. Anyway, that's that. <laughs> Well, it's nice to hear. It's nice to hear two <laughs> practitioners that you know that are that are helping individuals do those things that are leading with their own behaviors and own lifestyles. I'm sure that resonates with your clients and helps build some of that buy-in and trust because you're out there too. You know, you're 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 riding up a ski lift with someone you just worked with last weekend. So that's pretty awesome to hear. So that is all the time we have for the rest of today. And a big thank you to our two panelists, Pat Van Galen and Paul Holbrook, two individuals that Mike and myself have enjoyed connecting with that are passionate about human performance and do a tremendous job helping people live both a longer and fuller life. You can follow Pat on Instagram at active and agile or visit activeandagile.com for more information. And you can visit ageperformance.com to get a better understanding of what Paul and his team are doing. This discussion will be publicly available on the Kaiser Fitness YouTube page and the audio will be up on Spotify as well under the Kaiser Education Series. Thanks to the both of you. Thank you, Mike, and have a great day.